So if you don't know me, my name is Jamie. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Pullman Foursquare, and uh, I am really, I feel very privileged to be your pastor, and I feel privileged actually to share this message this morning. We have been in a series called, anybody tell me? Bells, yes. And it's, it's, it sounds like a really dumb acronym, right? Bells. Like, why would anybody ever use bells? But as Annie told us last week, uh, for centuries, the Christian church has used bells as a marker to the community of things that were going on, that God was doing something. There was a birth, there was a baptism, there was a death, there was a, a marriage, uh, all sorts of things. And also each week to remind people to come and worship God. And so it's a really appropriate uh, image for us to remember as Christians that uh, we live in a world that doesn't really use church bells anymore. I mean, I don't even know that there is any in town here. And, uh, but there is, metaphorically speaking, and it's you. You guys are the church bells of the church today. And when your life uh, stands out amongst the world, and it is like ringing a bell, calling people to worship. So and what we're saying is that, so BELLS is an acronym for five simple practices that will make your life shine in the world. Or as Jesus said, it will make your light shine in the world, like a city on a hill. And those five simple practices are very easy to do. It's not difficult. It's not stressful. It's not meant to be stressful. It's not meant to like put some sort of weight on top of your shoulders, but it's meant to actually lighten your load and set you free and help you to live the life that you want to live. And so those five, five, uh, five letters, let's see, Russ already said them. So let's see if anybody else knows them. B stands for? Bless. bless. Blessed people. I'm going to pretend that I didn't notice, and you guys can all cheat. So that's awesome. So blessed people bless people. It's what blessed people do. God blesses us to be a blessing. And so we got to go out and bless people, and I've heard all kinds of cool stories about people buying other people coffee or lunch, or I took donuts to the card shop next door, and it was just really awesome just to be a blessing, to add strength to people's lives, to let people know, hey, we care about you. We care about what happens to your life. And praying for people, coming to church and being together, giving is a, also a, a way that we bless. So these are all ways in which we do that. The second one is E, and that stands for eat. Now, you know, everybody, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, eats, right? Eating is the great leveler. It is the one thing that we all have in common. In fact, you could look at it as saying it is the one weakness that we are all very willing to admit, Right? because we all have to eat. But something magical and special happens when we gather around a table. That's kind of why I like this table. It's like you guys and me are sitting around a table having a conversation where I talk a lot, and you think. <laughs> but it's a conversation that's meant to prompt a response. It's a conversation that's meant to prompt thought. And so we want to intentionally get around the table with other people, whether they're believers or unbelievers, and have intentional conversations and see where it goes, see where the Holy Spirit leads it. All right, so that's eat, bless, eat. The third one is listen, and that's what I'm going to talk about today is listening, and so I'm going to move right past that on to the next thing. We'll say loved people listen. The third is to learn. People that are in transformation need to learn new habits. When we are being changed by God, we have to learn new ways of functioning in the world. We have to learn new ways of functioning in our family. If you've ever been to a counseling office to work through some hard thing and you wanted to change it, on the other side of that, you had to learn a new behavior. The same is true in the kingdom of God. The old is gone, the new has come. We are learning to live in the new family of God. And lastly, 
the practice that will really shock the world in all of its busyness is Sabbath. Sabbath is that churchy word that we are reclaiming from the scripture. It's a word that has been used throughout the whole Bible. It's a practice that Jesus did, which means to take one day out of seven and rest as a gift. God has given it to you to delight in all that he has given you. So that's what our, our, our five practices are all about. And this is just a way of life that we're going to live together. And when we live this way as a church, it's going to shock the world because there's going to be people all over the city in every location, in every workplace, and they're going to be just shining this light, ringing these bells by blessing their coworkers or taking them to lunch and eating together and having significant conversations and, and learning to be a different person and not stuck in the same old paths, the same old neural pathways. That, that's how it actually works physically in our brain. It just like builds highways, and we want to break those chains, break those bondages, become a new person. Let's ring our bells together. So today, what I'm going to talk about is listening. And now, if you've been in this church for a little while, I did some math. So there's the first shocker, right? I did some math because if you've been in this church for very long, you know I am not a mather. I don't math well. Um, so I actually had to go back and physically count uh, things. So it's pretty, probably pretty close, give or take some. Um, but I also, what I did is I went back and I counted and I looked at how many times we talked about the subject of listening. Because we've been talking about it a lot in this church. Heidi said, in fact, we got the whole team together to talk about who is preaching what. I'm not going to name names who said this, but there was a certain male individual in the group who said, I don't want to preach on that one. I don't have anything new to say. None of us are going to have anything new to say. We've said it all. And it's because in the last 56 weeks, we have preached on this subject 20 times. 20 times in 56 weeks. And that doesn't count all of the discussion and work we do in our discipleship courses, like Rooted. If you haven't heard of Rooted, you're going to want to find out about Rooted. It is, I mean, anybody that is in Rooted is shaking their heads. It is, it is phenomenal. It is a great experience and a great way to root your faith in Christ. So we talk about it in Rooted. We talk about an emotionally healthy spirituality course where we learn how to, to have a faith that is healthy inside as well as outside. It's not just a religion, but it is a transformed life. And we learned about it in emotionally healthy relationships where we allow our faith to transform our relationships. We talk about it there. We practice it after our services where we give you a minute or two minutes in silence to just listen to God. So it's some, not like something we haven't talked about. And a lot of uh, the people that have been around the block with us are like, all right, Sermon 21 on listening. What could he possibly say that would be, in fact, I'm tuning out now. Let me ask you just to tune right back in, okay? Let me just ask you to tune right back in because people who are loved learn to listen. If you're in a relationship with somebody and you love them, the thing that you do that most shows your love to them is that you listen to them. When you most feel loved, psychology tells us, is when you are being listened to. That's why I think uh, psychology is actually so popular. It's not so much that it, it's necessarily healing. It is. It can be. But I think often we just want a listening ear, and so we have to pay people to listen to us in this society. Now, imagine if you could all do that for free, <laughs> to actually be capable of listening to other people. But this sermon isn't actually about listening to other people. So much it is about listening to God. Because God is the one that we need to listen to the most. I want to take two words, and I want to put them together, and I want you to have them together in your mind when you leave this place today, and from here on out, if it's at all possible for you. The first word is prayer, and the second word is listening. 
Let's say them together so that you start to associate them. Prayer, listening. Prayer, listening. They seem like they're two different things for many of us. I mean, we, we're taught to pray and we're taught to talk, right? We bring our requests to God. We bring our petitions to God. I mean, those are, I mean, where else do we, petitions we do in politics, right? So, like, it sounds like we're, like, lobbying God for something. Uh, we, we bring our, our requests to God, the things that we need. We, we intercede on behalf of other people, which means to go before God for somebody else who is really hurting and can't get there themselves, who, who doesn't have it in them to pray for themselves or to pray for their need or who is, who is so under the weight of their pain and stress and hurt and sickness, whatever it may be. So we go before God before them. All of that is talking. But there is this side of the relationship where we need to listen. In a loving relationship, there is both speaking and listening. So prayer is in part speaking, but it is also listening to what God has to say to us. It's the reason I think that it's been one of the central teachings for us here at Pullman Foursquare for the last year and a half or so, talking about listening to God and hearing Him, because in the Bible, it is central that we learn to pray and to listen to God if we are going to have a life that has any impact on the world around us. If we're going to have a life that has any impact on our families, any impact on our neighborhoods, any impact on our workplaces, any impact on the people that we love and care about, they, we have to have lives that are able to pray and to listen to the Holy Spirit. When I read the Bible, I see that the followers of Jesus are people who are at all times completely and utterly dependent upon the Spirit of Jesus, also known as the Holy Spirit. It's another, another word. In fact, the Bible mixes them up, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God. It's this character of God that is spirit that resides in us. They are utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit to guide them, sometimes to redirect them, sometimes to give them a gift, a, a skill that they didn't naturally have on their own, to empower them to do things that they couldn't do on their own, to lead them in a new direction, to support them, to strengthen them, to embolden them, to provide physically for them, whether it be money or food or rescue, to encourage them in their heart that God is present and with them. And prayer is the point of connection to the Holy Spirit. And that's why it is so important that we learn to listen. A few weeks ago, kind of changing tacks slightly, uh, a few weeks ago was Amelia's eighth birthday. Eighth birthday is my, my daughter, Amelia. Um, Russ is looking at me like, I can't believe she's that old, because um, they remember when she was born, which is good. Good for you. As long as you can remember eight years, you're doing well, Russ. Just keep hanging on to that. Um, it was January 1st. That's her birthday. She was born 1111. She was the first baby of the new year. It was pretty exciting. So for her birthday, we were at her grandparents' house, and we were there, and one of the things that we did, we bought her a balloon, uh, a lovely little helium balloon, and we tied it to her chair, and she carried that thing around her grandparents' house and played with it, and anytime she sat down to eat dinner, I think she was tying it to her, you know, like, make sure everybody knows, it's my birthday. Here it is. You know, this big sign that floats above her, happy birthday. It was really cute. I don't know if you guys know this, but balloons never end well, right? They never, ever end well. They're, they're either going to pop, they're going to deflate and sag and land on the ground, or they're going to float away. I mean, the balloons never, ever end well. And I warned her, I'm like, Amelia, here's your balloon, happy birthday. These never end well. <laughs> I'm a great dad. And I, so I warned her, you know, be careful with this, you know, enjoy it, play with it while it lasts, and then it's going to be gone. So well, sure enough, just a couple of days later, we were getting ready to leave. We're packed into the car. We're all loaded in there. 
and I'm standing beside the car, I'm saying goodbye, you know, everybody's giving hugs, and I hear this, oh no, and we turn and we look and we watch Balloony float away off into the distance. It is, you know, the first thing I thought, they live near an airport, and I thought, oh man, I hope that thing doesn't take a plane down. <laughs> I mean, I'll feel guilty about that, that'd be bad. And it's just floating away, and then I thought, you know, it's kind of beautiful. It was a cloudy, one of those, you know, on the west side, if you've been there, those cloudy, rainy days where the clouds are scudding by super fast, and there's like sun breaks in between it, and you just watch them screaming by, and then the wind, and this balloon kind of floats up, and then it, it grabs the wind, and you just watch it kind of float away really fast, and it was just beautiful watching this balloon do what it was made to do, fly away on the breeze. It was absolutely gorgeous. It occurred to me then it's something was it was prompted in my heart and it has stayed with me since and it's something that I, I actually I thought that I wrote it down fresh for this and it's really funny because we're cleaning our house we're Maria condoing I don't know if anybody else knows Maria condoing but we were Maria condoing the other day and I found an old journal and there were, one page is a, this list of names it was where we were naming Isaac I'm like how cool is that and then the next page was this there was a bunch of different scribblings and writings and I had actually wrote this phrase down all these years ago, and God prompted my heart in that moment, kind of brought this story to my mind, and this, he's like, this is how I want believers to live. This is what the relationship with me and their relationship to the world is meant to feel like. It's to be free as a bird, light as a balloon, floating on every wind of grace. Free as a bird, light as a balloon, floating out on every wind of grace. That's the people of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we kind of tend to be like balloons, I think, a lot of times, and we tend to blow up our balloons ourselves. This is the hard part of my illustration. I've got to blow this up. That's big enough. I don't want it to pop. That tastes terrible, too. So we get our balloon. This is our life, you know, and it's all filled up with what we could put into it which, you know, isn't very much, and it doesn't do much on its own, does it? I mean, it just sits there, maybe it bounces a little bit, so we, we try to get it, get it, oh, I use my nose, ah, cool, I bounce it, we're like, okay, I'm going to pray today, all right, all right, okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my rooted devotional today, I'm going to keep this thing bouncing, all right, I got to go to work, got to go to work, I got to work, oh, man, that person was really mean to me, and this is really hard to keep this stupid thing, I don't even want to bounce it today, and, oh, okay, we're going to bounce it again, we're going to get, you, you see what I'm getting at? That our life is like we try to bounce these balloons under our own power, and we were never meant to. We were meant to be filled with something other than ourselves that causes us to live life a little freer, a little lighter, able to be free as a bird, as light as a balloon filled with helium, and blowing about on every wind of grace. I'm going to put this over there so it doesn't distract me. I'll sit here and play with it. This describes what the Bible calls being led by the Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's this guy named Jesus. Anybody ever heard of him before? He's in this part of the Bible called the New Testament. He's a man who lived about 2,000 years ago, who claimed to be the Son of God and lived a life that seems to prove it, in my opinion. Um, and what the story of Jesus tells us is that when he, just before he begins living a life outward to the world at about, the, at about 30 years old, he goes and he is baptized and this, the Holy Spirit literally descends on him like a dove. All these people saw this happen. It looked like a dove came out of the sky, landed on his head, and the clouds opened up and there was words from God spoken out loud, which people heard. 
crazy story. And he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was filled with God's spirit in that moment. And then it said, and the spirit led him into the desert to be tempted for 30 days. Yeah, how many of you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit now, right? He led out into the desert. This is exciting. And he comes out of the desert and he's led into ministry by the spirit. He, he is led to the people that are lost and broken and hurting, and he is healing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is preaching things that nobody's ever heard before in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is led all the way to the cross in the power of the Holy Spirit to give his life. And then he says to his disciples before he goes to the cross, the spirit that is in me, I am going to give to you. I am going away that you might have the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the paraclete, the assistant, the office assistant, the spiritual assistant, the empowerer, the gifter can come and live in you. And that's what happens on the day of Pentecost, just a few weeks after the death of Jesus and resurrection. The uh, disciples are all together and a wind comes and flames like fire settle on top of their head and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they live a life that is led by the Spirit. And somewhere along the line, we get this idea that we're supposed to lead our own lives and not be led by the Spirit. That the Spirit is just a, it's an add-on. It's, it's like drinking one of those five-hour energy drinks on Sunday that it's going to last us five to ten hours, and maybe Monday I'm going to feel pretty good, but then I start doing things back on my own strength, right? People say it, church is a crutch. But it was never meant to be a crutch. It was always meant to be the place in which we come and are filled and refilled again so that we can live as free as a bird, as light as a balloon, blowing about on every wind of grace led by the Spirit. And that is why listening to the Spirit is such a critical, a critical job for us believers who are trying to live in the world blessing people. We have been focused for years as a church, not this church, but all churches, on church growth methods and ways of, of, of discipling people and bringing them together. I mean, I, I've done a conference after conference. We did a purpose-driven church, a purpose-driven life. Of, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. We've been so focused on this, and we forget to be driven and led and gifted and filled, not by a good book, not by a great idea, but by the Spirit, the Spirit of God that breathes life into us, that lifts us and carries us. And it happens over and over and over again in the Bible. We see that the people in the Bible were never worried about church growth methods, they were never worried about discipleship programs or classes. They were never worried about money. They were never worried about what was going on in the world. Now, there was some fear and things like that going on, but they were always called to hope in the Spirit. The reason that they were not so focused on this stuff is because they were too busy floating around on every wind of grace that God gave them, being filled with the Spirit and finding themselves in surprising places in the world and finding themselves on uh, having surprising outcomes from things that should be impossible. People that are dead suddenly finding new life. People that are lost suddenly being found. People who are poor suddenly being provided for. Impossible things happening over and over and over again. And it's not particularly uncommon. Just, it's not just to the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. In fact, I brought a friend with me this morning who uh, I think exemplifies this person being filled with the Spirit and gifted and led out into a new way of life. I brought him with me. His name is the prophet Elijah. You know, thank you, Josh. <laughs> that was very exciting. 
So I, Heidi and I have a friend who is an iconographer. She is one of the first uh, evangelical iconographers. An icon is an ancient practice of writing stories into picture form because people couldn't read. And they would look at them, and, and it's funny because the, the perspective's all flipped. Our paintings and stuff, we look into them, right? You look into the room where the people are sitting in weird positions, playing music or eating fruit. And these things, we're in the room. They're looking into us. They're, they're reading us. They're seeing what's going on in our world, and they're trying to tell us their story. And this is Elijah, and his story has always really resonated with me. And I'm going to put him right here, and hopefully Elijah won't fall down. Good to go, buddy? All right. I do talk to paintings sometimes. If you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to actually read the Bible, because I believe that the Bible is incredibly important. It's not God, but it's God's words. Uh, to, if you have a blue Bible and you want to read the tiny, tiny print that is in them, I apologize. It's page 171. I do not have any problem with you looking at it like this. It's, it's this, this important that if you have to get it this close to read it, go for it. Uh, but we're going to be at 1 Kings 19. And if you were in our rooted prayer experience the other week, you're going to be familiar with this. And even some of what I'm going to say comes directly out of that because I believe that God's speaking to us this morning this very specific thing about being led and filled by the Spirit. Now, before I read it to you, I read part of it to you, I want to give you a little bit of a, of a background where we're at here in the Bible. This is the book of Kings, which is kind of obvious. It's chronicling, it's telling you the story of the kings of Israel. And we've had the, the really good, all the good stuff has happened. At this point, things mostly just go downhill in the story, right? Uh, it, King, King David, you know, comes along. He kills the giant Goliath, and he defeats the Amalekites and the, the you know, all, I didn't want to say, I wanted to say Pharisees, but I meant Philistines. Thank you. <laughs> it's like Pharisees, Philistines, you know, all these Bible words. He just fought them all. And he, and he won, and he created this kingdom. And then his son is, comes along, and, and they build the temple of God, and worship goes throughout the whole world. And like, the renown and name of Yahweh, the God of Israel, is known by everybody. The queen of Sheba is coming. People from Egypt are coming, and they're bringing the wealth of the world to Israel. That's the best part of the story. From here, it kind of goes downhill. We get this split between the northern and southern kingdom. Israel splits in two, civil war. Now we've got two kings, and one of the kings is called Ahab, and he decides to uh, marry a Kardashian. Her name is Jezebel, Jezebel Kardashian. Um, she's a looker by all accounts in the scripture, um, which is probably why he married her, and also for power and wealth and position, but she was also, she was, let's just say a, the bad word. She was a bad word. And she was mean and evil, and she hated God and wanted to destroy all of God's people and all the worship of God and all the altars and all the temples and everything. And she worked hard to do it. So she had this guy that opposed her named Elijah, right here, my friend. And he was a prophet. And we come to this big point in the story where there's this big prophet fight. And doesn't that sound awesome? It's like WWF or E or whatever the, is it E now? I am 43 years old, dude. 44 years old, and it used to be WWF. So it was like this big prophet fight where he, like, he says, all right, you guys make a big altar, and we're going to sacrifice cows on it, and it's, you know, put all the wood and like, put everything flammable you want in there, and, and then we're going to call down fire. You call down fire from heaven from your God, and then we're, I'll do the same over here. And whichever God calls, the fire comes down from heaven out of nowhere, 
clearly that's the one who's God. And so it's a big prophet fight. They, they, and they do the showdown. And in the end, God sends fire, and it not just eats the, the, the sacrifice, it eats all the wood and the rocks and all the water that he had poured on it. God of heaven, Yahweh, answers the prayer. And immediately after this, Elisha and all the people of Israel put to death all of the prophets of this false god. And when Jezebel, Kardashian, hears about this, she gets a little upset, and she sends a note to Elisha. Now, this is a pretty big high point, right? This is like the best day at work ever for a prophet. For like a pastor, if I came to church and like fire from heaven shows up at church, that's a pretty good Sunday, all right? I'm feeling really good about myself. But so, so Elisha, my pal, is at home, and he's hanging out, and he's feeling pretty good about himself, and here comes this letter that's, you know, says, Jezebel Kardashian on the front of it, and he's like, oh shoot, what is this going to say? And she says to him, oh, you're done, dude. I am going to put you to death just like you put all those prophets to death. You're done for. Every prophet in Israel is done for. And he freaks out and runs. He freaks out and runs. And that is where Elisha finds himself. In a time in Israel when it's an absolute mess, it's a mess politically, it's a mess socially, it's a mess spiritually, he's surrounded by people who have stopped listening to God, they've stopped paying attention to his call, he's, they've stopped following God in any way, and he found himself angry, he found himself lonely, he found himself disillusioned, burnt out, anxious, and depressed. That sounds like how life seems to go for us when we fill in it with our own power, right? We just can't keep it going. We burn out. We get tired. Elijah begins remembering all of his, his losses in life, how things should have been, how they could have been. He remembers back to just not very long ago this great big success, and now he's at the very, very bottom, and he's running for his life, and those wishes take over. You guys know when that happens? Like, man, I wish it had happened this way. I wish life was going this way. I wish I didn't have to wear the stupid boot on my foot because I could walk around the stage at least while I'm preaching. I wish that this, I wish that I didn't have to run for my life. I mean, we all live in the wishes. And he's got real enemies out to get him, not fake enemies, not enemies that are made up in his mind. He's got real enemies out to get him. And all of this comes together and his perspective on life and on God become deeply, deeply distorted. And I have to admit to you that there have been times in the last 48 hours where I have sat in that place, where my vision of God, where my understanding of God has been deeply, deeply distorted because I've lived focused on the wrong things. So God comes to Elijah in 1 Kings 19, and he says to him, Elijah, I'm coming to you in a new way. I'm coming to you in a way that I've never come to you before. And so he sends him off into the desert to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. It's a place where God has met with his people over and over and over again. He doesn't say to Elijah, I want you to go back to safety of your home. I, don't, I want you to go back to what is predictable, to the way things were. He doesn't say, I want you to go back to the way things you've done in the past. He doesn't want him to go back to how God used to move, how he used to speak, how he used to grow him. He wants to do a new thing in Elijah. After 40 days of wandering in the desert, not eating, birds feeding him. It's kind of interesting how it's written. The birds were either bringing him food or the birds were his food. One of the two, I don't know. Either way, it's kind of gross. Either way, it's kind of gross. And the birds are feeding him and he's, he is eating and that's the only way he survives. And God is sending these birds and God says, oh, go to this mountain and he is 40 days to get there. And he finally comes to the mountain 
And in 1 Kings 19, verse 11, this is what God says to him, and I want to read it to you. And he said, God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke it in pieces and rocks, and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. So first a wind comes up, a mighty wind, a tornado is kind of what the, the Hebrew word is actually describing here. A tornado comes up, so powerful that it is literally tearing rocks apart on the mountain. But God wasn't in that wind. See, wind is how God came to Job, and he blew his tent down. The wind is how God came to Jonah when the wind comes and blows the sea and blows Jonah back onto the course of his life. Those are how God spoke in the past. But God wasn't in that because he wants to say something new. Then an earthquake comes, but God wasn't in the earthquake either. That's how God came to Moses when he was on the Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. It says that the mountain shook and trembled as God's presence came. And then came a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. That's, that's how God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And then God spoke to Pharaoh and all of Egypt in a pillar of fire. And then he spoke to all of Israel by leading them in a pillar of fire through the desert. These are all ways in which God speaks in the past. And then the ways that God shows up again in Acts chapter 2 when he brings the Holy Spirit with a wind and fire. Elijah's looking for God in those old things, the ways he's experienced him before, the ways others have experienced him. But God wants to come to him uniquely. God has something new for Elijah, something that's not familiar, something that is going to transform and change Elijah. He's going to meet with God in a new way. Verse 12b, it says this, After the fire, the sound of a low whisper. The word, that translation, low whisper, can be a little weird. Sometimes it's a still, small voice. The Hebrew word, it's, it's baffling to translators because it means a silent breath or the sound of sheer silence. He came with no sound at all. The sound of sheer silence. It makes no sense to us. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face. How do you even hear the sound of sheer silence? How do you hear the sound of a silent breath? He wraps his face and he stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice. And he said, Elijah, what are you doing here? It's the sound of a low whisper, the sound of the breath of silence or sheer silence. It's in that silence that God meets Elijah, and Elijah doesn't just hear God. He doesn't just hear words, meaning, I'd love to hear an audible voice from heaven. But God isn't so much concerned with giving you an audible voice as he is with meeting with you face to face. God meets Elijah in that moment in a deep, deep way, a way deeper than words. And it's the same way that God wants to meet with you, in a way deeper than a word teaching, deeper than a sermon. This encounter radically changes Elijah. First of all, it frees him 
like a bird. He is under the weight and the pressure of, of the death threat from Jezebel, of, of the failure of Israel, of, of all of his dreams and failures, his anxiety, his depression, his burnout, all of that weight he is carrying. And that's when, when God says, what are you doing here? It's all he does is just dumps it. I'm the last one. Everybody's out to get me. It's all done. This is just horrible. And God's like, no, hush, go up on the mountain. And Elijah goes up on the mountain. And it's in that silence that God meets him. And he says, why are you here? And Elijah again unleashes his depression, his anxiety, his fear. But he is changed because of the silence. He is set free from that depression. And then he is set free, but then he is also given a new mission. He has lightened. His depression and anxiety is taken from him, and he's lightened so that he can move forward into what is new for him in the future. He's to go out and anoint a new king. He's to anoint a new prophet and to train him. And then we have Elijah brings along Elijah. Confusing, I know. God wants to not just free you from the anxiety, depression, fear, failures, heartbreak, aches, pains, suffering of the mind, of your concern for the future, of your fear of lack of direction, of what's next. He doesn't just want to free you of that. He wants to lighten you and fill you with his spirit in such a way so that when you are released, that even just a puff of wind could blow you in the direction that you need to go. Just the lightest breath of grace from God, which is all of his goodness is his favor. We're able to to float in such a way that we can look and say, hey, look, there's this little tiny thing that God is doing that is good over here, and we are blown in that direction. That's what happens to Elijah. He is transformed so that he can float free as a bird, light as a balloon on every wind of grace in his day, in his way, for his people, into the mission that God had for him in his unique moment. God has something unique for you. In your day, in this day, in this place, Pullman is not just a stopping point. Pullman is your mission on earth right now. He has gifted this to you as a unique time and place in which you are called to be a blessing, to eat, listen, learn, and Sabbath, and and resonate to the whole world God's love. And God wants to do something new in you, a new filling of His Spirit and presence in you so that you can float away from today, free as a bird, light as a balloon, being blown about on every wind of grace. Elijah didn't have to talk God into it. He didn't have to beg him for it. He didn't have to crawl on hands and knees and plead. All he had to do was obey and listen. God's breath sends him out into the mission. You know, our world doesn't need just more good people. This bell stuff, it could turn into a thing where you were just trying to do good things and really we're just filled up our balloon ourselves and we're bouncing it around. Oh, I'm being a blessing. I'm eating with people. I'm taking the time to read my Bible and to listen. And it's stuff that we're doing. And the world doesn't need more people who are doing good things. What the world needs is more people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit in transformation, engaging their world, living the mission in a free and easy and light way. Can you imagine? Do you know anybody that's like that? They're just joyful all the time. You just see them and they're just lit up with joy. They're lighthearted. They're free and easy because God's presence lives in them. Wouldn't it be amazing, a gift to the world, if we were this way? 
If we took the time to stop and listen to the Spirit and encounter His presence, the world does stop and listen. We call it practicing mindfulness. We do it in yoga, we do it in our workplaces, it's all the rage in schools and counseling offices. But what we're talking about is something radically different because we're not being mindful of what's going on in our heart. We are being mindful for what the Spirit of God is speaking to us in the sound of sheer silence so that we can be guided by Him into the mission that He has for us. Free as a bird, light as a balloon, blown about on every wind of grace. But you have to get to the mountain of God. Elijah was sent to this specific place to meet with him. And this morning, God wants to meet with you in this specific place. This house of the Lord, this gathering place of his people. He wants to meet with you in a unique way, a way that he's never met with you before. I'm way off notes now. I think often we stop and we settle. We have an experience with God at some point, or we seek God, or we think we seek God, and we, we think we have enough. Uh, we, we think we're a good enough person, or we think that life is good enough, or we're making it on our own. But God wants something more than that for us, for you. God wants something more than being blown about by every wind of bad thing, by every tragedy, by every hurt and wound. God knows those things are going to happen, and they will hurt. Can I just disillusion you for a moment? Life sucks sometimes. It's hard. Bad things happen to good people, and good people do bad things to other people. All the time, it's because we're humans. But God wants to give us something new in the midst of that, in the midst of whatever's going on in your life. You may be like, I just got drugged to church today. What's this guy even talking about? God wants to meet you. Lucky you. You showed up on the Sunday that God wanted to show up and meet you. Good news is he wants to do that every week. We're going to take about five minutes, and this is going to kill some of you. Five minutes to just be quiet and listen in the sound of sheer silence for God to meet you. I am not going to contrive a meeting with God. I'm not going to make something up. God is going to meet you in your way, in your day, in the way that you need to hear from him. And when we're, when we're done in five minutes, we're going to close with worship. Uh, just a couple of songs. So here's what I want us to do. Silence can be hard. So the first thing you'll notice when the room goes silent is you'll hear the heaters come on. Then you'll hear somebody sniffle. And then somebody else is going to cough. What we want to do is to close our eyes and imagine ourselves alone on the mountaintop with my friend Elijah and with God. That's why Elijah's got his hands out like this. He's like, this experience I had you can have it too. And he's inviting you to meet with God in the sound of sheer silence. To stop and to settle and to listen. Now, when a distraction happens, we're going to want to just gently turn our attention back to God. So we're gonna give, I'm going to give you a simple prayer that you can just pray. You just close your eyes and you pray this to God, not to me, not to the person next to you. And it's a prayer of another prophet, the prophet Samuel, which is, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I just want to hear from you, God. That's how I would say it. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so when you get distracted, just turn your attention back to God and say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And if that's all you get in five minutes, 
you've gotten quite a bit because you're opening your ears to God. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to enter that time of silence. Let's be gentle with one another and with ourselves and be kind. Turn off your cell phone if you haven't yet so that you don't ring. I'll run and take it from you. All right. Jesus, we want to declare in this moment that we are desperate for you and for your spirit and your spirit's guidance and leading in our lives right now. Lord, we have talked about prayer. We've talked about discernment. We've talked about listening. We've done all of these things, God, and we've, we've even practiced them some. But what we want not now is not just a prayer time, but a meeting with you. And so, Lord, we open ourselves to your presence. We pray that in this time, God, you would begin to break the chains in our hearts, that you would set us free and fill us with a lightness of your presence so that we can move about our lives free as a bird, light as a balloon, blown about on every wind of grace. Jesus, we ask you to speak to us now. In your name, amen.